In this week's episode of Studio Inter, we'll be reviewing the win against Torino together with ESPN FC and the Guardians' Nicky Bandini, previewing the match against Sassuolo, this week's Moji, Moratti and Frog, and much, much more. Everything here on Studio Inter, on EnSempreInter.com. Benvenuti, bentornati to another edition of Studio Inter. I'm your host, Nimatale Ruzzari, wishing you welcome to a week where the Inter begin by being nine points ahead of their nearest rivals, AC Milan. But those of us who have maybe seen, uh, followed this league quite a bit know that when Juventus have a game in hand, uh, they usually tend to win that, no matter who the opposition is. So uh, it's some, as some pointed out, there's a there's a hyphen or there's a there's a little dot next to that nine. It's really seven. But before we get to all of that, let me introduce my panelists, starting with uh, the Semperinter.com preview, preview writer, Mr. Positivity himself, Mr. Mohamed Nasser. Hey ho, what a time to be alive. Hi, everyone. <laughs> nice one. And we're also joined by the chief news editor on Semperinter.com, Mr. William Beckman. Hello. Amen to that. <laughs> for sure and we're also joined by our good friend from uh, he's a producer on tsn canada mr michael gallo i'm so excited i just can't hide it oh my god i'm about no, to lose think... control no and no, I no, stop. Like it. no no oh my god <laughs> um we apologize to um to, to everyone born after 1995 for that <laughs> But let us introduce our guest, uh, who I hope she's still with us after that in- embarrassment <laughs> from, from us. Um, uh, she's the she contributes to the Guardian, ESPN, Talksport, and many more. Welcome back, uh, Miss Nikki Bandini. Um, I'm trying to match that level of excitement. I'm trying to match <laughs> what I just come into. Thanks for having me. Well, it's been ten years since Inter were in this position, and. Well, 11 years, if we're perfectly honest, because the 2011 season, it was more like Inter were chasing after they started with, with Rafa Benitez. But, um, and, and that's, I'd rather never say those words ever again. But <laughs> let's, um, I mean, I'm keen to, to hear, because we, we've not had you on this season. You were on with us last uh, last season. But I'm keen to see, ask you how you've experienced this this season with, with Inter, because it's been quite the roller coaster. And specifically, I wanted to ask you, did you think, honestly, at no- in November when things were looking that bleak, uh, when Inter finished last in their ch- group stage of the Champions League, if they were going to stand here in, in, in mid-March uh, and be nine points clear uh, of the second-best second, second best team, second spot, the mean, team in the second spot? No, I would never have said they were going to be nine points clear, but... Actually, I'm pretty sure if you go back and check on the day that the Champions League group finished, I think I tweeted, all right, but actually Inter are going to have just the league to concentrate on now, and will that mean something? And before the season started, I got stick on ESPN for predicting Inter would win the league. So I have sort of never really wavered in my thought that Conte, that this that this could be a season. Um not wanting to sound too smug about that because I get things wrong a lot. And also, I'm the person now saying, 
even though I'm not as invested as you guys are in it. Um, I'm I'm the one I feel like in in that ESPN studio saying, well, there's still 11 games till the end of the season, mm. and and much crazier things have happened than than this sort of lead evaporating. But I did. I did think Inter had a really good shot this season, even after that group stage collapse. And partly that was not because I necessarily expected them to be where they are now. I didn't predict seven wins in a row like we've just seen. I didn't predict the quality of football that that I think we've seen over the last two months or so. But I did think that this was a season where it was there for the taking. And actually, even if you go back to that situation we were in at the end of the group stage, it's worth remembering that Juventus might have got through their Champions League group, but they had not started the season strongly. They dropped points to Verona, to Crotone, to a bunch of teams you wouldn't expect them to drop points to. So it's always been there. It's always been there. And I think the the two things that, again, I wouldn't have predicted are, um, one, I don't think I would have expected Milan's fall to be as sharp as it has been when it came. Um, but secondly, I just I wasn't expecting this level of quality from Inter because I think there's been a real step forward since the turn of the year. For sure. Um, um, I wanted to ask you just quickly because I I I I agree 100% and and I've been very skeptical throughout um, until, about, about Inter winning the league and I really didn't think so and and I'm I'm not quite there yet to say that Inter are 100% <laughs> going to win the league but I do think that they're the favourites and it's theirs to lose I, I don't think a fan of any club in your position could feel 100% confident I certainly don't think a fan of Inter could <laughs> <laughs> no but Mo, Mo, I gotta be no shade little... that's just no no just no, 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 no it, it is it, absolutely but Mo, Mo's been Mo's been saying we're going to win the, the league this year all like from the beginning back when okay. you know, as as will was saying it's like mo, mo has the right to go full content say now everybody wants to get on the bandwagon and, and all that stuff but when it was going bad nobody wanted to get on the bandwagon but but but, but seriously speaking but like I, but like nikki like nikki i find myself a little bit more reserved now than uh than uh, <laughs> All the early season hubris, you know. Now, now, now that the reality, uh, it's a bit more real. I'm just uh, the stakes are higher. I'm really afraid of jinxing it all, but uh, we'll see. For sure. Now there wasn't something to lose before, and now there's a position to lose. It really is. But I wanted to, I wanted to ask you a, a little bit about that because, um, I mean, after the after after New Year's, one thing it ha- absolutely has clicked, and I think a big part of that is Christian Eriksen. Mm. Um, what what's your I mean personally I think it's it's fantastic of it, it's a fantastic job uh, by Conte and I think he is at his best when his back is against the wall and he can't dip into the transfer market and he has this is what you're left to work with do the best of it and I think he's probably one of the best managers in, in the world when it comes to that um, and 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 I mean how much do you attribute to him and how much do you attribute to Christian Eriksen or or do, where are you on this? Ah, oh, I mean there's, there's layers to that and I actually really agree with you I think Conte. Um, it's why he was such a fantastic national team manager, actually, is because you can't go and find someone. You've just got the players that you've got. And I think he finds, in those sorts of situations, he finds resources that um, that no one else is seeing, frankly. And I think that he did that so well with the national team. With Ericsson, it's a bit different. This was an obvious resource that was there, and it felt like for a long time he was almost being willful, like he was refusing to take advantage of this um this opportunity that he had but i think there's 
again, oh, I just think there's so many layers to this. I think that a huge part of this is not about Conte at all. I think it's about Ericsson. And I think he did take a while to start to feel properly comfortable in Italy. And I think that such a subtle thing as noticing how his language seemed to take a huge step forward at a certain point. Like suddenly he was doing interviews, he was speaking confidently. I think he reached a moment of comfort um, somewhere in the last few months that he hadn't been at before. And that's so understandable. I think if you consider that he's come to Italy right when the pandemic hits and he spent so much of his first few months just shelled up in his own space, in his mm. own apartment i think it's really not surprising that some of that integration may have gone slower i think that obviously there's been this tactical acceptance and this again feels like it's partly on ericsson's side saying all right i'm not going to play in the role that i thought was supposed to be mine but actually there is a role for me here and i think it's so important for inter because in the last few seasons i've actually at times found myself thinking is Brozovic as good as I thought he was is he really capable of running this midfield and I think it's only now that you put another ball player alongside him that you see that a lot of those things that I thought maybe were deficiencies in his game was just too much burden it was just too much burden on him to be the only um real creator in in that space not that there aren't other good midfielders at Inter because there's lots but the only real um uh regista not really even a regista just the the the, the mm. creator the playmaker and so having a second option for that in Ericsson has been huge and I think there's one other thing which um I sometimes want to say with Ericsson which is I think Ericsson's been good I don't think Ericsson has been spectacular but I think that the thing you realize is he's just such a different and more versatile and capable footballer with the greatest of respect than someone like Gagliardini that you're not necessarily talking about <laughs> Ericsson because he is a transformative presence in that team because I don't know if he is yet but he's a lot better than some of the players who've had to fill in with that spot when especially when since he has been injured when um Vidal has been in one of his moods where you don't know what sort of football you're going to get from him I think that's he's got a just a, a degree of footballing education I think that perhaps someone like Liardini doesn't mm. goat Liardini as we sometimes <laughs> call him rather I, ironically I don't, I don't want to throw him in you know throw him in the under the bus but yeah I think that this Torino game really I felt it that difference between the two of them um, and just what they can offer you as footballers I mean we saw it even against Atalanta with uh, when Vidal came off for Ericsson but mm. I mean when, when Christian Ericsson is better than Arturo Vidal even in, in at this stage in his career where I think Arturo oh. Vidal has peaked uh, when when he's better defensively than him then that's a great know. example of what you said before though about Conte and whether or not he's better off yeah. not being in the checkbook amen and look Conte got one thing very very right which is Lukaku and that alone that one transfer might be fundamental not might be is fundamental to why Inter top of the league right now but he gets a lot wrong for sure mm. I'm going to hand you over to Will did you have a question for Nikki? 
yes. Uh, hi, Nikki. Thank you for joining us. Um, actually, my question was kind of something that we've already touched on there in that in that previous discussion, but I just wanted to maybe take it a little bit further. Um, and this may seem on the face of it quite a weird thing to say, but um, and it's maybe there's no there's no answer obviously because it's kind of a hypothetical uh, question. But I was wondering. Could, is there an argument that actually these all these off-field problems that have um, that have been plaguing the club since pretty much this, well since the start of this year certainly I mean obviously mm -hmm. maybe the, the financial troubles have gone back further than that but really when it's ramped up and we've had all this talk about uh, people coming in and, and buying the club or investing into the club has taken uh, it's been the last three months or so do you think that that's maybe actually helped our, our title bid because for, on the one hand you have players like you know Ericsson and um, and Perisic, who obviously might have left in January, had Inter been able to maybe accept different conditions uh, or if they've been able to source replacements. And obviously they had to stay. And now they've become key players. You've got um, you've got the Sanchez and Jekyll thing that, that didn't go through because Inter couldn't afford to spend a single penny on that deal. Um, and also you've got, you know, this, you've got this thing, as you said, of Conte bringing the best out of himself before anyone else when there are problems. So I don't know. Is there, is there an argument that maybe if, if, if Suning were in the, were in the right place and, and, um, and things weren't sort of slightly falling apart behind the scenes, that maybe we wouldn't be nine points clear. Is that, is that mad to think that maybe this yeah. is a very strange blessing in disguise? I don't know, because so far we've won eight, we've basically not won every match since this started. It's, it's really bizarre, the contrast between what's going on on the pitch and off it. It's, I think it's a, a fascinating question. Of course, it's impossible to answer because it's counterfactual. Like it's 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 all speculation from from all of us. But I I do think um, I think maybe there's even more layers to it than we've said already. I, I think we've sort of touched on um, what you're asking there in terms of Conte and and what he's had to do, the players he's had to choose from, and and focusing on getting the most out of those. But there is this intangible thing that we see over and over again in football where managers seek to engender that siege mentality that feeling of us against the world and of course normally that's directed at um the media or some other rival that you're creating in everyone's mind as as this big overarching enemy but maybe some this season there's been a little bit amongst inter of of fighting against your own circumstances of looking around and going look this this is all weighing on us but we can prove something we can show that we're even bigger than these situations and I, I think those those subtle motivating factors which are really hard to put your finger on can be meaningful sometimes and with this one in particular it's a motivator motivator that by necessity um compact the group because as we've just said no one leaves the group no one comes into the group so this situation obliges you to stay together obliges you to say right we're going to roll our sleeves up and and try to do something um as one i mean look i'm getting a little bit pop psychology here to be honest but i think i, <laughs> I do if you ask me what my opinion is rather than some expert analysis I think that stuff can can make a difference and I do think that I don't know I think that that scene after the Atlanta game the way they celebrated it just felt like a group that has become very tight-knit certainly mm, for sure um Mo did you have a question for Nikki 
Yeah, hi Nikki. Uh, so um, the the recently uh, skeptical Mo would like to get your take <laughs> on, uh, uh, on your take on 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 Eventus resurgence. Do you do you reckon that uh, they're from what you've seen in the last couple of weeks and now that uh, now that they're out of the Champions League and uh, what have you? Do you think that there is enough there for them to mount a serious uh, challenge uh, on, you know, on the final stretch, or do you think that they they've already dropped too many points, and you know, whatever fight they have in them is is just, uh, you know, is just uh, is it, going to be inconsequential? I I think there will be a fight for a little while yet. Um, I think that Juventus have played better in recent weeks it hasn't been as good as inter hasn't been as good as inter playing in my opinion but there have been some really impressive performances actually i thought against lazio they were spectacular frankly i thought after going one down they played some really nice football and i think there are things there that are really working things that are really clicking i think federico chiesa i'm i feel like i'm shouting about him a lot at the moment because i did not have this level of expectation for him at the start of the season. Honestly, I thought that was a bad signing and I was dead wrong. Um, and I think that when that team lets itself let loose and play at pace and use those younger players they have, I think they're quite compelling to watch, actually. And look, the results since really quite early in the season have been pretty good. Certainly since the middle of January, with the exception of losing to Porto and losing to, to Napoli, they, they haven't really slipped up a lot. So I do think people are looking at that 10-point um, gap and thinking it's a little bit bigger than it really is. Now, the counterpoint to that is, in three games' time, I think, they're going to play that catch-up game against Napoli. And that's not a gimme. And if they don't win that game, and Inter have kept winning in the meantime. To me, at that point, it does start to look, it starts to look really, really big. You're relying as Juventus on, on winning that game in hand. And I think in broader terms, Juventus are relying on just winning an awful lot till the end of the season because you have got to make up, even if you win that game in hand, seven points. And sure, you can pin something on the head-to-head but that's still a minimum of two games you've got to catch up on in test so the consistency required of them is is really a lot now but is the talent there is this along with inter the most talented squad in the league yes and are there some signs that people has got them playing better than before again in my opinion yes i i don't think personally that at the end of the season Juventus are going to be in first place but I'm not as convinced as some other people are or seem to be that we're not going to have a race from here till till May I think we've still got some life left in this title race personally mm, agreed um, <clears throat> Mike hand you over to Mike for his yeah, Mike I've got two questions for you, Nikki. I'll start with the first one regarding uh, I've gone back and found the tweet from uh, December 9th <laughs> of 2020 and i'm gonna read it 
I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read it. And then it was at 4.56 Eastern time. So that's Toronto time. So I'm guessing in the UK, that was probably around nine o'clock. It mm-hmm. says, this is a dismal way for Inter to exit the Champions League, exactly as two years ago, getting the help they needed elsewhere, but failing to beat the perceived weak team of the group at home. That said, I do think avoiding third and Europa League may improve their chances at winning Serie A. So I did say it. <laughs> you did say it. Hey, I'm just confirming what uh, what you said. That's otherwise. I mean, if it didn't say that, I would have just said anything. But but you said it, and uh, you get you get you get the. Uh, you, I'm going to announce it, and that's good. But my question for you is: Had they won that game, and they'd still mm-hmm. be in Champions League, would you think they'd be in the same situation they are in right now? Would you think maybe they have dropped one of these last few games with a round of sixteen? Uh, matchup with whoever that could have been around this same time do you think they'd be in the same situation i mean again these are sort of impossible questions to answer because there's so much that i don't know about that scenario i don't know how i don't know who inter have drawn i don't know whether or not um players have got injured in those games i don't know whether or not the momentum that carries in those games can can also lift a team there's there's a lot that is is impossible to know. I will say one thing though. I think that the Inter team that is playing right now in Serie A would be more competitive in Europe than the Inter team that was playing in December. And I say this every single year with the Champions League. The Champions League is all about timing. The Champions League, you don't have to be great in September to December. You just have to get out the group. Where it's decided is the teams that round into form at this time of year. Now, Inter didn't give themselves a chance because they didn't get out of the group. But I think this Inter right now would be fascinating to see against some of these clubs in Europe. And I hope next season we'll get to see a better Inter in Europe. Certainly, though, whether or not they would have this winning record. I can't. I can't tell you really. That's that's speculating. But I do think, I do think it helps to have this much rest time when other teams don't. And I think the Europa League thing certainly, there is no question in my mind at all that Milan and Roma have looked really, really exhausted coming off their Europa League games um, this year. And I think that's made a big difference, certainly. Uh, I do have one more question for you. Um, it's about uh, Barella. Would you? Th- would it be fair to say that he could possibly be the Azzurri's most important or maybe most talented player as we get, you know, as we start approaching the European Championships uh, this summer? I mean, you you put me in a bind here because I'm on an Inter <laughs> podcast, and of course. <laughs> There are other players I might name <laughs> who will be less popular in this room. I, I think he's going to be hugely, hugely important. I, I love Nicola Barella. I think he's such a brilliant footballer to watch. I personally am about as excited about the Italian national team as mm. I have been. I mean, generationally speaking, I'm not talking about, obviously, there have been some great tournaments, but I think almost since... 
since 2006 when there's been a youth a youth movement like this that I've been so invested in. It's not just Barella, it's obviously Federico Chiesa, who I've talked about already on this podcast. There's some players like Bernardeschi, who I can't even explain because I think he's been really bad for Juventus, but he puts on the national team shirt and he transforms into something that, that I get excited about. I was hugely enthusiastic about where Stefano Sensi was before um, his injury troubles that he's had over the last couple of years. I'm even kind of excited to see what Belotti can, can do. And, and that's not something that I've felt through a lot of his career. He's not that young anymore. But I think he's he's started to round into something at an international level where he's contributing. There's so many players in the Italian national team that, that I get excited about at the moment. Probably, probably if I'm going to name the three players who I think are the core of of the future, I think it goes from from the the front to back through the middle of the team. It goes Donnarumma in goal, and it goes Barella in midfield, and it goes Chiesa somewhere in that forward line. But there's there's so much else to be excited about with Italy at the moment. I think we can we can not get just into one player and one club with the national team. I'm excited about a lot of it. Mm, for sure. Uh, I, I I think uh, this is a golden generation in Sweden, is Italy's got going. Um, and and I, and I think, honestly, that in terms of midfield, central midfield players, I don't think anyone comes close to the Azzurri between Jorginho, Verratti, oh, Barella, Sensi. And as well before he got in. Yeah, and yeah. then you've got Manuel Locatelli, who is just mm-hmm. what a talent he is. Um, so I couldn't agree with you more. I'm, I'm, there's no doubt in my mind that this this is this Italy side will win something. I just I'm just when that will be. Um, and, and also I think Roberto Mancini, who I've always rated and I think never gets the recognition he deserves for his work with you, young players in particular. I think this is this is really a perf the perfect storm, if you will, where the right manager with the right group of players um, playing playing a football that suits them. Um, the only issue, of course, is the famous, you know, lone striker role where it's not just an Italian problem. It seems to be a world football problem. You don't, there's not really that many good strikers about uh, or classic number nines in that sense. You got five, six, but no more than that. But, you yeah, know, I, I agree. I, I, I think this is this is truly, truly, truly uh, uh, one of those issues. Like you said, 2006 is the last time Italy had something this exciting. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I wanted to just before we let you go. Um, so, are you are you standing by your guns and saying that Inter will win the Scudetto? I have to. I can't say it before <laughs> and not stick with it when they're nine points clear. But yeah, like I said before, I think there will be a title race for a little while longer. Mm. But I do think Inter will get there in the end. Well, thank you very much for coming on. We hope you're right. Um, have you got something coming out that you want to plug or, or if you want people want to follow you on social media, the floor is yours. Oh, I haven't got one particular thing. I feel like I'm busy at the moment and I'm <laughs> doing all the podcasts. So just at Nikki Bandini on Twitter and and you'll find out whatever I'm up to. Well, say 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 give our best to our good friends Mina and Kay and Matteo uh, on this very awesome podcast from all of us. Um, and uh, take care of yourself. And thank you so much for coming on. Anytime. Take care. Ciao. Ciao. 
Right. Um, let's uh, let's uh, continue uh, with with specifically. Let's focus a little bit about the Torino game. Um, Mo, um, you said you did mention that you were a little bit. You're you're now the apprehensive Mo. Um, you're the skeptical Mo. And the thing is, <laughs> I completely get that because immediately after that, the final whistle, I was okay. Milan's out. Milan are out of the title race. There's no way they're they're taking over Inter. And then, and then immediately that sinking feeling, but Juve are in it because Juve has to, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you know it was. Yeah, like the feeling was, it, it's got to be Juventus. It's it. Who else? Who else can it be? You know. But not only that, because Inter are playing. Inter have Juve left to play. Uh, I think it's the, the penultimate round where they play Juve. Um, it's it's Napoli away, some a place Inter never win at. Um, and then you've got Roma at home as well, and 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 then you've got you know and these are games where Inter should you know these are tough games. The other games are are you know the, the toughest ones are I guess you could say it's Hellas Verona, but uh, and Bologna and Sassuolo. But other than that, it's not really that difficult the games uh, left. And and I I chose so instead I chose to like fool myself by looking at it like this. Inter have to win a maximum of nine more games in the Serie A to win the title, and that that's doable. That's completely doable because you and and you have to win all of theirs. That turns it around a little bit. I guess it's like I'm it's like I'm fooling myself psychologically, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but fo- fo- let's focus on that on the Torino game because that was a I, that was a game that had a draw written all over it. Um, Especially after uh, Torino equalized, um, wh- wh- what, were your, what were your thoughts uh, on the game? Because you were awfully quiet on Twitter. You usually aren't that quiet during games. Man, I, 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 uh, I wrote a tweet uh, uh, that, that went a bit under, uh, went a bit uh, incognito. Someone, I can't remember who asked, uh, who, on, who on the podcast last week, uh, had predicted the two-one, and then I I, um, I went back to the podcast and I um, I quoted my myself uh, mm-hmm. very humbly, <laughs> uh, but I, I can't find it now. Basically, I said it was it's going to be a very hard fought two-one. It, it was exactly what I thought it was exactly what I thought this game was going to be. Uh, when, when they equalized I, and with a, a shit goal, a really awful goal. I thought that's it. You know, it's written in the stars. We can't. Uh, we're, we're not going to win. But then, uh, but then that uh, that header from from heaven. You know, uh, an amazing, an amazing he- header. And honestly, those last last few minutes was proper old school nerves. Really, I, I was quiet because I was really really nervous. It felt like one of those matches where. Uh, I, I, Unlike the which games, which games have we been talking about recently about control and and dictate dictating the game and even when, even when you do give away uh, possession to the opposition, uh, there's a certain um, level of, of of control controlling the space and and controlling the narrative of the match. I felt like this match was out of Inter's hands. It was it was up in you know it it was up to the fates. Uh, and I was very, very nervous, but uh, it, it, it worked out in the end, you know. And, and I think the, these could we keep we keep on saying this every week. These could be the the most important three points 
but in fact these three points here are are mm. are, are very important are very important uh, like you said Nima it, it felt like the wind was knocked out of uh, the sails uh, with that equalizer but uh, they persevered uh, and they played the they did they did their part so yeah very uh, I want to talk. Ab- I want to talk about that equalizer before we get to the winner. Um, and Mike, I, I, I'm genuinely gobsmacked here because I don't think the push in and of itself on Skriniar is is a is a is an infringement. But given that there's a player lying in front lying in front of him and the push makes him tumble over, then it's a f- infringement. Or am I reading the rules wrong? Well, look. Let's. I think we need to just look at this entire play and just say there was so much chaos. <laughs> going on there was bodies everywhere okay so i think it's understandable that you know the referee's not calling a foul you know on the field there's no doubt about it i would have done the same thing if i was in that position but at least go take a look at it again just please i know they got your silent checks and everything but just go take a look at least confirm that what you saw didn't happen which i mean it did look like i think it was zaza that might have just pushed screener from from behind and no, you know, Sanabria. 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 Okay, so they're both kind of they're both kind of together and and I mean, look, it didn't seem like it was a lot, but it was definitely enough to have an impact on the play. And maybe Screener could have made a play had he not done that. So all I'm asking is that VAR or even you know with so many things going on in the field, just go take a look. And it didn't even seem like there was that much of a delay, like. You could see Erickson in the referee's face. Like there's a he's pushing, he's pushing, he's pushing, and and there wasn't that. Much. He went to go check on the player who was down, who I believe was Barella, I think. And, yeah, but that uh, was the fry who tackled everyone, including yeah. Barella. <laughs> <laughs> there was bodies everywhere. So like with, with with a play like this, when there's so much going on, especially on corner kicks, where a referee's vision has to be on so many different things. He's got it's got to be on the ball. It's got to be on. The, the area where the ball is going and all the players surrounding it, the goalkeeper, just go take a look. Okay. VAR also needs to say, hey, listen, take a look. But it doesn't seem like there was much of a delay. Like it, once he once he took care of uh, the player on the ground, it was like, okay, let's go to the restart. And there was nothing. So mm-hmm. I think it's just, just give me the benefit of just checking with the referee's eyes. Forget about VAR, what they're saying. You're the referee. Go take a look. Because this is a goal. This is a goal in the late stages of a match and a potential, you know, Scudetto changing result. We don't we don't know that, but it could be. So I think they need to just take a look at it. The referee, have a look. And if you don't see a foul, you don't see a foul. It's great. But the referee needs to take a look. And I believe that I think I, I think that it was a foul. But what, uh, that's to- what I was gonna say. I mean, if look, I think the push in and of itself doesn't warrant a foul. Because I think it's it's not that hard of a push. But I think it becomes worse because there's a player lying in front of him. And that tiny push is enough to push him over. Because he trips over a lying a player that's a Torino player that's lying on the floor. And and that's why I think it, it the way I see it, you know, every every that's what makes it an infringement, not the push itself. But the fact that a player's on the floor and he gets pushed over him and fall, falls over. That's where the in, infringement is. So it's a, a situational infringement if you will um am i am i reading it wrong or 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 how do you guys as referees look at it look at these things well i mean i'm just correct me if i'm wrong but the player that was on the ground was a was an was an inter player was it not no it was not 
No, it was a Torino, Torino player. Well, I, I think you can't really blame the if it's a Torino player who's on the ground already and they're not like trying to do anything about it. Then I, I really can't say that that person, that player, is responsible for just just being on the ground. I I still think that it it's more about what the attacker is is doing and and the fact that it's impactful on the play. Okay. okay. Not not just a little not just a little push, but it's also does he not if he doesn't do that, then maybe Screener can make a play on it. So it's definitely oh, sure. it's part of the the whole play. So I do think that that's the most important thing there. I don't I, maybe I'm not seeing it uh, the way you you're looking at with a with a Torino player on the ground. Uh but I do think though like they just need to have another look just to see it mm. what happened because you can't identify everything that happens on a corner kick that's boom 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 really quickly. Have another look and then and then make your decision. Mm. For sure. Um, well, um, we have to. I have to drool a bit about over Ale- Alexi Sanchez because if we're talking about decisive players, our good friend Mike Pialucci tweeted out: Alexi Sanchez coming off the bench is is actually the you know it that, that's what makes the 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 myth that Inter have a deep squad. That that part of it is true um, with Alexi Sanchez, and I agree because he's in top form. And he he every time he comes on or plays he has an impact. Um, I I mean could you, could could you have a better player to to bring on the bench than Alexis Sanchez in this form? I mean, what, what did you take? What did you take away from that game? Or or is it just me who has a has an undying bromance with a little Chilean? <laughs> no, well that's certainly true. We've we've testified to that before. But <laughs> I, I must say that. Um, Back on the, the last week of January, when, when Inter and Roma were exploring this last-minute loan swap between uh, Sanchez and, and Dzeko, uh, you were very much against it in the oh, yes. chat we were having while we were, <laughs> while we were talking about it. And I was kind of on the fence. I, I, for my, my initial thought when this story broke was I was all for it, because at that moment, Sanchez had been sort of out of condition for most of the season. He, and when he'd come on, he'd been struggling to, to, to be effective in front of goal. Um, there was, you know, there was that the narrative was kind of heading towards where we, we paid too much to sign him. Uh, his wages are too long, that sort of thing. So I, I was all for it, really. Um, but you have to say in the last three or four games or so, he's really turned into the player that, that we, we, we needed him to be. You know, he, he's, uh, he's not a, the same player as Lukaku. So he doesn't solve the problem of, of giving Conte a backup for, for Lukaku in that sense. But he is a really credible, solid backup player. You know, Olivier Giroud has kind of been the gold standard for that in, in Europe over the last couple of years. You know, he's kind of that, he's making an impact now, Sanchez, whenever he comes on. And when, of course, he starts, because he started against Parma and got the two goals. And there was a there was a, a piece in Gazetta today that we were covering for the site that was talking about how, you know, you, you, you couldn't, there are very few teams in Europe who could afford a luxury as like Alexis Sanchez on the bench in this form. Um, so I, I agree. I mean, he's he he was always going to be crucial. You know, Conte has been really, really um, adamant in public that the fringe players are huge. You know, in, in his post-match interviews, he's been he's not really been praising the players that are starting. He's been making sure everyone who's not playing remembers that they are important to him. He's been name-checking them. He's been name-checking Gagliardini and Young and Kolarov and, and Sanchez, you know, players that would have not started or hadn't started for ages. And I have to say, I think he's done a really good job. I mean, this obviously, some of it will be Sanchez, but, but some of it is Conte as well. They've done a really good job as a pair 
to make sure that this this uh, missed opportunity to go to Roma, because Sanchez was seemingly all for it, has not acted as a boomerang. Because often when you keep a player that wants to leave or is interested in leaving, then that can really work against you. But, you know, the cross he put in for, for Lautaro Martinez, um, for, for that goal at, at Torino was was wonderful. And, you know, that's that's what we want. You know, we, we are missing... We don't have loads of creative players and Sanchez is that person that can link play. And that was really what we were missing in the first hour with, with Sanchez and Ericsson. They, they gave so much extra quality when the team came on. So absolutely, I, I don't have anything bad to say about Sanchez at the moment. And, you know, if he were to pick up an injury in the next few weeks, that would be almost as big a blow as if Lukaku or Lautaro were to get injured. You know, and Conte said it himself um, after the, the Parma game. I think, you know, for the first 18 months of my time in charge, I basically had to pray every week that neither Lautaro or Lukaku got injured because otherwise, you know, we were doomed. But now we have Alexis. He thinks he's in the best physical and mental condition since since he's joined the club and, and the performances are, are backing that up. So, no, I, I think... We know that you love Sanchez, but I think it's time that we all maybe sit down next to you on that on that bandwagon because he's been the perfect number twelve, perfect twelfth man, really at the moment. You know, we, we've got Caicedo at Lazio, who's always had that title. Um, Mertens, when he wasn't when he was before he was the the, the incredible Mertens that Sarri made him into, he was a great twelfth man. We've now got a great twelfth man, and we haven't had someone like that for a while. You know, three three years ago we had Eder when we were trying to get in the Champions League. <laughs> you know, times have changed. Well, exactly. And I mean, if you look at it this way, he's he's taken part in 20 games in the Serie A this season, scored five, assisted six. Last season, when he was injured in and out all the time, 20 took part in 22 games, four goals and nine assists. You know, you need, exactly like you said, you need to have a 12th man to do that. And he has these qualities, which which not many other players do in, in the Simple squad. And that's the ability for him to link up. His movement is is fantastic. His his link-up play, he drops down and links between midfield and attack and makes, he has the, the intelligence to, to create play. Even if he doesn't get the assist, he quite often than not, makes the pass before the pass. That's the secondary assist in ice hockey that we speak about. Like, he, he does it all the time, and it's just... I mean, if, if this is... You know, and if, if it took him about 18 months for, for him to understand Conte's uh, training regime and for him to get into this form, then, then, I, then I hope he never leaves. I really hope he never leaves because he's an absolutely quality player to have on the bench. No doubt about that. Um, let's... Um, Let's um, move on to to. I mean, we're, we're, it's um, it's eight question. I mean, it's eight games in a row. Uh, we've got Sassuolo coming up, then the international break, then it's Bologna and Cagliari, and 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 we'll get to those. Uh, you know, when when the times when the time be. But first, it's Sassuolo, and it's a Sassuolo who you don't really know where you have. They're they're in the middle of. They're right dead center in the table. They're a little bit in, in in no man's land. They don't have a chance to to to, to go higher, and they're not going to drop any any lower either. Mo, um, I, w- what is your what are your feelings going into this game? I mean, my personal feeling is that the, you know they are a good defensive side, but they're also a side that wants to play football. They're not Torino, um, so so I'm more confident going into this than 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 I was into the Torino game. What about you? Yeah, no, I definitely uh, I'm more confident here. I think uh, you're you're right in um, in talking about you know the trajectory of uh, both teams. I think right now teams that have something to play for are the most difficult teams to to be up against. And uh, a mid-table team is you know towards the tail end of the season with really eh, not much to play for. Uh, 
is the least threatening of propositions at the moment. I think we definitely have the quality. We have the week-long uh, planning uh, planning break for Conte to really, uh, you know, uh, set his team up in 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 what should be the right manner. So uh, yeah, no, I. I I'm I'm fairly confident for, uh, about this match. Although I mean, you know, we we hate Sassuolo. Sassuolo is a banana skin team for sure. I, I was going to say I, I haven't looked at the, what what time of day the match is. Uh, is it an early afternoon game or is it? A, no, it's it's a, the evening. Yeah, it's a Saturday night evening Saturday game. Saturday night. Yeah, no. In that case, yeah, let's 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 make it a nice straightforward home win. <laughs> Um, I, um, I I think um, I, I want to ask you about this, this, this uh, Mike. Um, when we uh, when we um, when we play Sassuolo, we're playing against probably a player who we're going to play play against quite a bit uh, as an oppose as an as an opposition player in the, in the in the over the next decade, who's going to be one of the most important players of that Juventus side that he's going to. Because there's no doubt in my mind that Manuel Locatelli is going to Juve. Unfortunately, I would have loved to have him at Inter, but um, he's. I mean, how how do you think this midfield that Inter have will balance farewell fair fair against uh, that Sassuolo side? Well, I, I think you're you're right about Locatelli. I think there's no doubt there's no doubt that he's going to go to. Well, I mean, it's pretty pretty high chance that he ends up going to to uh, to Juve at some point, whether it's next year or the year after. I, I love him. I, I actually really like Sassuolo. I think they're I think they're a great team. I think they're if they were maybe a few points higher, they would be they would be you know. I would actually like their chances at making Europa League, but they're just a little bit too far out with Lazio ahead of them. I, I really, really think that, you know, Inter is obviously due for a bad game. And I, I think they had a bad game against Torino, but they were, you know, they got a little bit lucky. I think that this might be that one game where, like, okay, now Inter is finally rolling, but we all know that Juve is going to make some kind of push and the, the, the gap is going to get tightened. And... It's, I just don't. I don't think that it's just. It's going to go any further with this c- continued trajectory as it's going right now. I mean, I look at the next three weeks and I see Cagliari, Bologna, and Sassuolo. I, I I think that Sassuolo is the hardest game of those three before we get to Napoli. So I think that this game is possibly going to be the one that we we draw or lose. And I feel like the games against Sassuolo the last few years they've been kind of all over the place. You know, I think it was a few years ago we had that game. It was, I think, believe it was seven nothing or seven one, and then they came back and beat us the next time. And uh, look, if if we're gonna if we're gonna continue in this trajectory, I mean, I think he's uh, Lucatelli is a player that you gotta you gotta obviously eliminate. But I mean, there's they've got more than just him. You know, obviously, obviously Berardi, and uh, I believe they've got Caputo up up top, and yeah, uh, and yeah, Boga, and they, yeah, they, they've got lots of they've got lots of options, and I I really like why I watched their game against Verona. It was a great game, exciting. Um, I I I really think that this is the game where okay, where I think everyone's getting confident now, and this is the game that we step back and say maybe it's a draw or a loss. That's just the way I look at it. I think that we can't win every game the rest of the year, obviously. And of the next month, uh, other than uh, with Napoli, I think that this is probably the toughest game that we're going to face. And uh, I think a draw is uh, the most likely scenario for me. Yeah. Um, 
that's that's uh, kind of what I was dreading. Uh, Will, uh, wh where are you on this? Uh, I'm pretty much in the same place as Mike for two reasons. Firstly, as you said, um, it's difficult to envisage this winning run going on forever. And I think these last three games have really been uh, they've been they've 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 shown a bit of fatigue. I think these players in the last three days, uh, three days, three games, I should say. Um, after the Genoa game. Uh, which was three games ago, we were all on talking about how Conte was was celebrating Inter's fluid football on his Instagram posts and maybe they're playing the best football in the league and Ericsson is a genius and everything is gorgeous. And since then, we've had three victories, but three very different victories. Victories where, for, for one thing, we haven't scored at all in the first half, which is back to what we were doing at the start of the season when we were starting games slowly. Uh, stodgy wins. Um, games where episodes could have turned things in a different direction. You think about Lianco in the first half on Sunday when he somehow managed to not score from a yard out. You know, those moments, we needed help from those little moments to get those wins. And, and I do think that if we continue to play like this, we will get caught at some point. That's not to say that it's going to derail our title challenge because we've got these wins. Nobody can take these points off us. And, you know, maybe, maybe you know, the, that's the whole point of building up a league. We are, we are, we are able to, to have a slip up now. So it wouldn't be a disaster. But I do think at some point, in these next three games, we're going to slip up. And I agree that Sassuolo could be the one where, not necessarily for the style of game, but just because, number one, it, um, because you said Sassuolo will open up and, and will, in theory, allow us to play football, which obviously Torino didn't, so tactically it might suit us. But in terms of the mental fatigue um, and just the, just the law of averages, I think we're due a, a draw, maybe. So that, that would be my prediction. The other reason, of course, that I wanted to... Uh, sound a word of caution ahead of Sassuolo was that we talk a lot about this uh, Sassuolo hoodoo but um, actually at the Mape Stadium we've got quite a good record we've won three of our last five games there now at San Siro we have not beaten Sassuolo since the 7-0 <laughs> in 2014 yeah. that is still our last home win against Sassuolo that was five games ago and you look at some of the games that we've not won in that time. We had the three-all draw last year with Gagliardini and Magnani, who's never scored a goal in his life, scoring in the last minute and all of that. Then you had the, 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 the game where Consigli what, saved was, everything was and then Berardi a... scored a penalty in the 95th minute. You had Yemelo scoring. You had, you had the Sassuolo game where everyone thought we were going to win 6-0 because they had nothing to play for in the penalty weekend of the season. And then Politano scored a free kick and we lost 2-1. You know, these games are mental, these home games against Sassuolo. So if we win this as well, then really Conte has shattered every single banter-era taboo <laughs> that has been plaguing us for the last few years. This is the last bastion of banter-inter, this match. So if we win this match, <laughs> I, I have, then there really is nothing uh, stopping us to win the league. That's it. If we beat, I'll say, if we beat Sassuolo, it's done. I'll say it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I have a, I have a question. Was the last season match uh, the one where Gagliardini missed uh, the open uh, goal? Yeah, yeah, that was Holy. that was that was post lockdown. Yeah. Mm. Oh lord. That was the three all. That was that was really the yeah. game. That was the week that cost us the league. Sassuolo and Bologna. Those two games mm. that were. Yeah, that was why? really it. You know. Oh, my God. However, uh, Sassuolo do play uh, midweek against uh, Torino on. The yes, on the sorry, you're, that's right. That's that's the other thing I was going to say. I forgot about that. Yeah, because Torino had their their COVID outbreak, didn't they? And they yeah. Their postponed game was against Sassuolo. They're playing that Wednesday afternoon, so they will yeah. have less rest. Although, having said that, Udinese had a Wednesday game before they played us, and that didn't help us. So yeah, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not counting any chickens. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I mean, I I, I thought that it was going to benefit uh, benefit us at that point, and it didn't. 
Um, <laughs> but you know what? I, I can't believe that that seven nothing game was in 2014. I thought it was like literally three years ago. I, it's still burned. <laughs> no, it's still Matsari. burned. Yeah, yeah, Matsari that's, was my, that's burned in my game. memory. You just heard Did me Kovacic reference get it. a hat trick. Yeah, no, yeah. no. Uh, I think it was Icardi who got a hat trick. I thought I thought that I thought they both got hat tricks, didn't they? Or was it? No, that you're I'm me, not sure. No, no, no. Kovacic okay. scored a goal, but I, I think uh, he got a hat trick of assists or something. Um, uh, I just remember it being one of his best performances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah he scored. Yeah, Icardi got a hat trick and Kovacic got one. You're right. Yeah. It was and, five and Dan, at half time. <laughs> yeah, and Dani Osvaldo scored a goal as well, and so did Guarín. Got two. Berardi oh was sent off. Okay. Yeah. What a ma- I'm gonna have to go watch this again. Yeah. 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 That game was awesome. I I I, I love yeah. it. It's one of my favorite matches the last like we, ten we, ten years. And, oh man. Yeah. But then uh, the next time Consigli came to San Siro against us, he saved oh. everything, so he made up for it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's called. Oh, there's, there's a reason I call it doing the concili for, for. Like, I mean, it's. So so okay. So um, let's uh, let's predict then. Uh, you you said a draw, Will. So. Yeah. Sorry, I, I had one one. The other thing I was going to say is um, uh, expect all the goals to come in the second half because uh, Inter have scored sixty nine percent of their goals this season in the second half. And that's this, the only team in Serie A who've scored a higher proportion of their goals in the second half is Sassuolo. So, <laughs> nil-nil at half-time and, and two all at full-time. Something like that. <laughs> all right, Mo, what about you? Prediction time? 3-1, enter. Mm. Uh, Mike? Uh, let's go 2-2. Two, two. Uh, Locatelli, Berardi... And we'll also go Darmian, hopefully, if he ends up playing at some point. And uh, we'll go Lukaku. 3-2 Inter. Uh, so Sassuolo will be 2-1 up before Inter score two in the dying minutes and give us all a heart attack. So, uh, yeah, that's 3-2 that's Inter. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be dramatic. And I definitely Berardi scoring, because that's what he does, because he's an Inter fan. Um, and, uh, and, and also Locatelli, I'm with you on that. And I'm thinking Luka, Luk, Lukaku, two goals, and Perisic for the winner. So, yeah, I'm thinking the Saturday night drama. Right, let's... Um, uh, and, I, and, and I'm kind of with you on that. Well, if they beat Sassuolo too, then literally... They have to win it now. There's no they? argument left. <laughs> There's no pessimism allowed after no, that. No. <laughs> right. Uh, let's move on to the part of the show where we pay tribute, rip the piss out of, and criticize someone or something heavily in the world of football, starting with the positivity by the artist formerly known as Mr. Positivity, Mr. Mohamed Hassan. <laughs> he's, he works a lot, he's intelligent, and he surprises uh, people sometimes with his uh, ideas. Not easy to find one person of this quality. Uh, yeah, so uh, honestly, Nima, when you said uh, uh, the, the Lautaro goal was reminiscent of uh, Crespo, mm. uh, it really reminded me of Crespo's season at Inter. They, you know, like uh, replacing Ronaldo is mm. no small feat. And the guy was, I, I, I loved him so much. There's something about his demeanor, his, that, that kit, that, that, that season's kit was... Yeah. Really, really, really classy. The goal, I believe it was against Ajax in, uh, in the Champions League. He scored a brace with his head where he basically uh, levitated for a few seconds in, in the air. It was, he was amazing. But the twist is Lautaro and his goal are not this week's Moratti. It's uh, our ex-Interista friend Matteo Politano for his goal against Milan. <laughs> <laughs> 
that was the best, best goal he ever. Most important goal. That's he's what I was going to say. That's the best goal he's ever. That's the best <laughs> thing he's ever done for Inter. That. Like, <laughs> yeah. apart from when he caught yeah. that that cup of beer in that PSV Eindhoven. <laughs> <laughs> That was pretty class as well. <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that goal, uh, that goal. And then, you know, uh, I, I don't know, so, something like, like you said, I, I, I don't know if it was you or Nikki who, who was talking, who, was, who said it earlier, but uh, the feeling that, you know, it's not going to be Milan who chase Inter now. Uh, no. The reins have been handed over to Juve. And I think that that match, that goal is, is the, that watershed moment in their respective season, you know, and uh, yeah, so he's he's my uh, Moratti for the week, for sure. And um, I couldn't agree more. Uh, right, let's move on to something much more comical. Uh, this week's frog, which we were presented by Mr. William Beckman. E clamoroso autogol di Ranocchia. Uh, this actually happened pretty much while we were recording last week's podcast. <laughs> um, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. Would you believe? Um, I, I feel like sometimes they pick themselves. There was a very funny moment after the match when uh, the, the Porto boss didn't get any questions in his, his post-match press conference, which I thought was very funny. But actually, that was to do with a, a Zoom link that had been sent in the wrong place or something. So I feel, yeah. I feel bad nominating him for that. But come on, right. Juventus signed Cristiano Ronaldo uh, to, uh, almost three years ago now uh, to complete their Champions League puzzle. Uh, mm. They'd come, they'd lost in two finals, and the other two they'd gone out under Allegri with, what, uh, Bayern Munich? And Real Madrid always in the last minute. The sensation was that they were right there. They just needed to be pushed over the line with that little something extra. Um, and since then, they've lost to Ajax, they've lost to Leon, and they've lost to Porto. And in the, the the game against Porto, bizarre game. They maybe were unlucky in certain places, but it's still a huge failure, and they deserve to go out. So there's no question about that. But of course, of course, Juventus' Champions League story is tragic comic. It's it's really quite quite reassuring that even in these COVID times, some things will never change. And not only did they go out against 10 men, not only did they go out with a, a, a free kick with the ball going underneath the barrier, by the way, they should have done, they could have done with Brozovic's crocodile act there. Um, but obviously they forgot about that. But it was Ronaldo in the, in the wall who turns his back. The man who was meant to get them to win the Champions League, who let... Sergio Oliveira's ball skid along the wet Turin grass into the bottom corner and condemning Juventus to another year of embarrassment, of, uh, of shame, of, of mockery, of all the above that we love. It's become an annual appointment and I, I quite like that. So obviously there are question marks over whether this will be negative for us in our league charge because now they're coming for us in the league. But... Cristiano Ronaldo, that was a great moment, and I'm not going to pretend that I was upset when that, all that was going on because, uh, frankly, I wasn't. I, I have to say, I was watching Sky Italia, and afterwards, Fabio Capello was foaming at the mouth with rage at the that free that wall, be, saying things like, "You know, when I was a coach, I always told my players, if you're afraid of the ball, tell me it's okay, but you can't stand in the wall. If you stand at the, and stand in the wall, you have to face the ball." Um, and then someone joked and said, what about the crocodile? And said, you don't need the crocodile when you have players who aren't afraid of a ball. <laughs> he was fuming. Like, that was his, that was his, like, that, was, that, that, that pissed him off. Not because, like, because, you know, not because of Juve, but it was the fact that players afraid of the ball. 
that 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 drove him like that put him over the edge but um as far as um funny things go following that there's a couple of things that that really really uh, that i that i really laughed at um what one of the things was um i was told by a portuguese colleague um that basically um <laughs> the um after the game uh that night i think it was tuesday night um there was a massive increase they saw a a a christmas boom almost they called it uh, in terms of merch uh the porto online store where about f- uh in 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 and and the majority of that boom came from italy where people were buying pepe and sergio <laughs> olive um his, his they were buying those jerseys about 20% of their of uh, a 20% increase overnight from people in in Italy buying Porto jerseys with Pepe on it um which which just goes to tell that petulance in football is is absolutely brilliant but i think the best thing is is their speaker porto speaker is is now under investigation and put on um put on uh, kind of not not leave as such but he's being uh, investigated by the club for his behavior because after the game against Juve he he screamed out we've beaten the thieves from Italy and that pig Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> <laughs> which is and and obviously the reason for for the Porto fans hate uh, Juve because of the Capuana's Cup final in 1986 it was Porto's first European Cup final and they perceived that they were screwed by the referee surprise surprise so um they 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 have no love lost for 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 Juve at all and and they made no secret of demonstrating that Um so yeah no it was it was quite quite the quite the quite the night. Um right let's move on to something much more negative this week's uh, moji which will be presented by Mr Michael Gallo. So before I get to the moji i want to just say a few things uh i 100% agree with capello what he was saying about the wall mm. 100% he was totally right yeah. 100% what he was right that wall was a disaster if you're in the wall you mm. stay there you stay put you don't move if you want to move make sure that you're not jumping and leaving yourself exposed if you don't have the crocodile at the bottom like the brozovic stay <laughs> there otherwise get out he was yeah. 100% right and as 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 much as it's magnified about Ronaldo because it was him if it was any other player if it was Danilo or whoever in the wall there's still to blame it just obviously it's magnified if you're in the wall stay there because mm. that's not going in if you just stand still and mm. and i if that happened to to enter i would have been so pissed off and and mm. Chesney was was pissed off and i would i would have too yeah um okay and another thing um will you put out a statistical board of Juve before and after Ronaldo uh on Twitter just when that happened and thank you because we actually used that at work and uh we used that those statistics i mean they were pretty oh, much a given we knew it but like at the same time you made it you put it into my brain and i was like you know what He, this is this is great information so we used it we used it at work so after we showed the highlights we put it uh on a nice 15 second board of what Juve has done before and after Ronaldo and obviously it tells a great story uh, he so, hasn't done much so to be clear i was all, I, i don't know if you saw this, but i had a tweet that went on norwegian television after the champions league final 
last oh. year. So I've now I've now ticked off Norway and Canada. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is yeah okay wow thank you. Love those northern yeah. television countries, don't yeah. you? Yeah, the, yeah. I'm I'm got the northern hemisphere locked. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so I mean, sticking on the theme of you, we've talked so much Juventus in the last ten minutes. I got it. I guess I got to continue, right? So look, there's two parts of this uh, of Moji, both with Juve. One is kind of in their favor. One is against it. So the first part, look, I think I brought this up. I think maybe last year at some point I might have mentioned it. Okay, away goals and extra time. It's got to go. We need to get rid of this. I get it. Away goals is a part of determining uh, these two-legged ties. But once you get to the extra time, please just... Let the 30 minutes be an equal part, especially now that there's no fans. There's no reason why there should be a, a way advantage for a goal for uh, for Porto. Absolutely not. There's no fans. There's no away. Uh, there's no advantage of being at home. So they shouldn't get an extra goal. I'm sorry. I, I know. I know it's it's uh, it, this would have benefited Juve had that not been the case, but. UEFA's got to figure this out, and I've never been a fan of it. And I know it screwed Inter. I think it was eight or nine years ago when they played yeah, against Tottenham. Tottenham. Yeah, and I think when, in the extra time it should stop. Yeah, because... and I, th- I think it was uh, Ronokia scored a goal to make it like four four or you know whatever it was, and we still Inter still went out on away goals, even though even though it was you know they both scored goals, and there was fans back then. Now there's no excuse. There's no fans. So what I don't understand what why there's it's still there, so that's that's something UEFA's got to get on that and just figure that out. Um, there should not be a way goals advantage for extra time. Having said that, um, that would have benefited Juve. And, you know, maybe they would have went to penalty kicks and and whatnot. But I want to look back at the Juve Cagliari game um, when Juve was up one nothing. And Cristiano Ronaldo went in on a tackle. Uh, he was actually going, sorry, we're not on a tackle, but he was going, uh, making a play on the ball that was that was going towards uh, going towards goal. And he put his foot out against the goalie, Alessio Cranio. And he got him right in the face. And he didn't get sent off for that. And I'm, I, was, I watched it a million times. And I'm like, I'm, I was very surprised that Ronaldo did not get sent off. And maybe it's because who he was. But I looked at it so many times. You cannot expose your your cleats in a situation. Like, I don't care if you're going for the ball or not. But he was guilty of serious foul play on that on that situation. And you know, I look at the. I don't need to look at the the law book to, to say this, but the law book clearly states any player who lunges at an opponent in challenging for the ball from the front, from the side, from behind, using one leg or both legs with excessive force, which I believe he did. Uh, because the, of the, the the rate he was moving at, is guilty of serious foul play. I believe they got a a huge let off by not uh, by not getting a red card. And who knows how that game would have played out? And maybe they didn't get those three points. But I believe that they made a mistake. And uh, maybe it was because it was Ronaldo, and he ended up scoring a hat trick later in that game too, of course. But uh, I believe he should have been sent off. So I believe that they VAR and the referee made a mistake in that game, and uh, that's who. That's who I believe is the Moji of the week. 
couldn't agree more. That's a clear sending off, even though there's no intentions, there's no malicious intent at all in that it's dangerous play. There's no doubt about the that. The goalie was down for like four I mean, minutes. Canio, Canio could have, you know, there. Was, I mean, I saw some, uh, I think it was uh, Sandro Piccinini who said he, Canio could have died. Like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was like, it was a, it was a Kung Fu kick almost. So, I mean, again, there was no intention at all, but it, that is dangerous play. Um, and I've seen that. I remember when Ibrahimovic did something similar for PSG and he got a straight red card for it as well. I mean, that's, that's the only thing you can do. You know, there, there's no intent, but you have to give a red card, especially when it's like, like you read, read it straight foot like that. It's just, you know. You have you have, you're responsible for your body parts. It's Absolutely. as simple as that. Absolutely. Um, so and I just want to say a little correction. It was the 1984 Cup Winners Cup final uh, that Porto lost to Juve, um, and um, they uh, they it was uh, 50% of the shirts sold overnight were were Pepe uh, <laughs> shirts, and um, 20% of, of 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 all those were bought by people in Italy. They're Did a little you buy bit one, like uh, Neymar. No? no, no, not yet. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna buy a Tottenham one, but that's that's because of my Iranian heritage more than anything. But they're a little bit like you were a little bit like the French. Nobody likes them except the French. <laughs> like you've been to, like it's it's, it's 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 becoming like like that, isn't it? Like nobody likes the French except the French, and nobody likes Juve except Juventini. Um, they're, they're dare really... I dare I say it, Neymar? Well, they not they got knocked out of the Champions League, and then in their first Serie A game afterwards. That happens. Juventus yeah. Serie A running has begun. <laughs> it begins. It begins exactly. Let's no, I mean, let's be seven points clear by the penultimate weekend of the season. Let's get this it done. Is what I'm saying. Spare, this right? is what I'm going to say. In, that's that's why I'm saying nine games because um, maximum, like a minimum of nine games, and or maximum nine games wins because. And, and I'll be abs- if Inter go. Let me be absolutely clear. If Inter go to Juve Stadium. And there's a chance that if Juve win, they go past Juve. I, you can bet your mortgage that they're going to win that game. How, how do you how do you down. feel about if 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 it's like five points? So that means that if they win, they can take it to the final day. Do you fancy you fancy us dropping points against Udinese on the last day to lose the league? Mm, um, depends. So we, so but, you think we just, you think we just need to be four points clear? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because then a draw need, does it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. No. I want it done and dusted. I mean, Inter have yeah. to win nine I think games. I think that's a reasonable target. Like, if Juventus win their game in hand, they're seven points clear. If we just mm. keep that gap until the penalty weekend, we can get exactly. it done for them. Yeah. They're done. Precisely what I'm saying. Draw against Napoli, draw against Roma, win the rest, done, finished, finito, punto, basta. That's, that's you know, that, that's, that's, you know, because they will, I think they will drop points. I, I don't see Juve going on a... 11, like no, a 13, is, 13 game win well, this streak. Is, this is the thing. Juventus have not won more than three league games in a row all season. We've won eight in a row twice. Mm. So if they're going to come back on us, it's going to have to be completely flipping the 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 form that these teams have been showing all year. Juventus are going to have to do something they've not done all season, which is possible. But, which is absolutely possible. Yeah. It's Juve and it's a Serie A. But um, yeah, no, let's not get to... <laughs> Uh, to Alex Jones on this podcast before before uh, Mo starts jumping in here. And <laughs> hey guys, what's up? <laughs> right, that's all we have Sean time for this... on our pod. <laughs> like that, that's all we had time for this week. I'd like to thank Nikki Bandini. I'd like to thank you, William. Thank you. Enjoy your week, uh, Mr. Mohamed Nasser. 
Will you go back to being? Uh, will you go back to being uh, Mr. Positivity next week then? If we beat Sassuolo, or is it still the artist formerly known as? I, I, I'm very positive. I think it's going to happen. I just, I'm, I'm very nervous saying it out loud because <laughs> yes. it seems very real. Now. But, um, yeah, I, I know what yeah. you mean. This, this I, 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 I think for sure the Sassuolo game is going to be uh, important, and I really do think we're going to win. I don't think. I don't think we're going to drop points there. Let's see. Let's see. Mm. But Juve have a very tough run of games as well. So, you know. Mm. Uh, Mr. Michael Gallo. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Enjoy this one. It was a great, uh, great time talking with everybody again for the first time in the last few weeks. And uh, let's hope that we get three points against the Swallow. But uh, I'm not feeling that confident. Until next week, I'm your host, Nimatalali Rutsari, wishing you stay to stay safe, uh, take care of yourselves and your loved ones, listen to your authorities, three points, and sempre e solo forza. Mm-hmm.